You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer, and I am here with my good buddy and partner, Matt Hartwell. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, as some might not know, we record this pod on uh, on Sunday evenings, so a lot of people just got some really unfortunate news about a really highly ranked recruit that was on Michigan's list, uh, so kind of sad about that, but overall, a great weekend for me, buddy. How about you? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I just spent some time with the family. I did a little yard work and landscaping. Uh, definitely got the bad news, which we are going to talk about. We've got some pretty, you know, a, a pretty good lineup for our listeners today. So we're going to talk about the madness that's going on with ESPN. We'll talk about a Michigan recruiting win, and then we'll talk about a couple Michigan recruiting losses. Um, I've also got a really cool segment that I'm going to squeeze in at the end here. Um, an interview I did with a guy by the name of. Steven Igo with Hoist the Colors, that's 24-7 Sports East Carolina chapter, previewing, that's right, week one of Michigan football. We're talking about Michigan football. Even though it's a couple months away, I thought it would be cool to start this series where I'm literally going behind enemy lines and interviewing experts of each of the 12 Michigan regular season opponents. So the first one we'll go ahead and include on this episode. But first, let's kick things off with something that'll get you going a little bit. Michigan reportedly adds a beat Georgia drill to practice. Love it or hate it? I love it, Mike. I mean, uh, it's honestly, it's worked for us thus far. You know, Michigan has kind of uh, gotten centered around this mindset that like we're attempting to win a national championship this year. They're not being shy about it. And Georgia has historically been the team that that path runs through. So it makes sense. Um, it uh, it kind of lights a fire under the team's ass in my mind. It lights a fire maybe under the ass of some of our opponents, uh, which can also work to the favor of Michigan in some sense. So I'm all about it, dude. I know some people were hating on it a little bit, but what are you thinking? I love it and I hate it. I know that's kind of a cop-out, so let me tell you why. First and foremost, I love it. It's a statement, right? It's, uh, Georgia is clearly the king of college football right now. Sorry, Nick Saban, move over. It's Georgia, back-to-back -back na national championships. So Michigan is making a statement like we're coming for Georgia. We've been in the college football playoff two years in a row. Yes, we've fallen short. One of those losses was to Georgia. The other one was not to Georgia, but it really felt like we were just, you know, right around the corner from getting to Georgia. And then everybody that watched that game was like, well, shit, we probably weren't ready for them anyway. And so now in what, what appears to be year three of the Michigan is back campaign, we're saying let's beat Georgia. It worked for Ohio State, right? When we implemented our just beat Ohio State drills, that, that's when the momentum changed for Ohio State. So maybe it'll work for Georgia. So that's my love it piece. But now my hate it piece, or I, I shouldn't even say hate it. I should just say I'm uh, cautious about it, is I don't want to overextend and forget about the teams that are already on our schedule, first and foremost, 
Ohio State, which is, you know, sitting there on November, I think 25th, late November. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I don't want to take our, our eye off the ball too much, but I don't think this team will. We've got a lot of senior leadership, a lot of experienced coaches. So I, I'm going to go with love the beat Georgia drill. Let me say this. I, uh, I kind of share the same mindset, but when you look at things, obviously there's an opponent that's going to lie in between Georgia and whoever that is. I think that it's still a safe bet that it's going to be a, Georg- a Georgia or another similar SEC team in the mix there. So I don't think that they're wrong with their preparations for facing a tough SEC opponent in the national championship. Other than that, there's really no way to guess who that other opponent is going to be in the middle of uh, of Georgia. You know what I mean? So there's really no way to prepare for that. So I love them doing what at least they're able to do at this time, but uh, certainly don't want to get caught uh, with your pants down looking ahead like... Uh, like recent history shows. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah. And I, I'm going to go ahead and just ride with the guys, you know, the, the coaching staff and the players, if they think it's a good idea, then hell yeah, I'm all for it. Um, I tell you what, some, some pretty good news coming out of Michigan, moving on to the recruiting side. This was earlier in the week. Uh, Jeremiah Beasley committed to Michigan, number six player in the state of Michigan, according to um, 247, 24-7 sports. And, you know, it always feels a little bit nicer to steal one from our little bro down the road in East Lansing. So this was a Michigan guy. Everybody pretty much thought he was staying home in the state of Michigan. It looked like Michigan and Michigan State were both in the mix. Um, Linebacker commits to Michigan. Uh, how are you feeling about Jeremiah Beasley? Pretty good? I'm feeling great about him. I don't know if uh, you watched the tape that I tweeted out of him on uh, on Twitter, but the kid is a dog. He uh, he was also a running back in high school, is a running back, but uh, very, very aggressive with his pursuit of of whatever side of the ball he's on. So very good on offense, also very good on defense defensively with uh with his closing speed he reminds me a lot of Devin Bush so it'll be interesting to see if that that translates well to the college level and uh and if he's able to zero in on one position which is linebacker in college and see how successful he is but uh a must get for Michigan in our own backyard against little brother they did pull it out so i was super satisfied to see that one come in and uh and happy that he chose Michigan. Now, Michigan is just raking in the four stars right now. I posted a graphic earlier in the week that showed uh, we have the most four or five star commits coming to Michigan uh, than any other team in that 2024 class. Now, unfortunately, uh, we're not landing the big time five stars. And one of those big time five stars uh, just committed to Ohio State of all teams. Defensive lineman Justin Scott, just uh, an hour or two before we recorded the pod, committed to Ohio State. Uh, that is not great. Of course, that that's the guy you were referring to at the beginning of the pod. A little bit of bad news, which we always have to deal with a little bit of bad news in the recruiting cycle, but uh, it just 
it, it's a little painful seeing a five-star go to Ohio State, isn't it? Absolutely, man. You know, this was far and away supposed to be one of those big names that uh, that Michigan had to get. You know, it seems like that every year that there's always these five-star guys that uh, Michigan fans decide that Michigan just has to come away with in order for the coaching staff to retain some form of self-respect. I'm just saying what people say on Twitter. But, uh, you know, I'm not of exactly of that mindset. To me, it more just kind of seems like it wasn't a Michigan fit, you know, and sometimes it just comes down to that, unfortunately, with some of those bigger name guys. And uh, it, I don't know if you saw any of the talk that was taking place on Twitter before we hopped on, but it's already being reported by like Hayes Fawcett and guys like that on Twitter that... Uh, that he was saying that Michigan was very close. And then at the end, Larry Johnson sealed the deal on the Ohio State visit. And how could he turn down the opportunity to be coached by the great Larry Johnson and all of this bullshit. So at the end of the day, best of luck to the kid. But uh, it's probably just not a Michigan fit. Yeah, it's painful to know that we were in the lead right up until the end. Uh, you know, historically even with the recruiting class heating up and getting a lot of premier talent these guys that are five stars we haven't landed a lot of them right and and uh so it, it's always nice to to get those guys and it always hurts when your arch rival is getting them but we know like we know it's all about developing these guys and so uh it, it, is he a talented young man that we absolutely wanted on our team Yes, I'm not going to be one of these guys that acts like after he commits to Ohio State, like, well, we didn't want him anyway. It's like, well, no, of course we did. We definitely wanted him, uh, but he chose his side, uh, and he's going to have to face us for at least, you know, three or four Novembers uh, to come. And, uh, you know, there's a few guys in Ohio uh, that Michigan is actually potentially going to steal from Ohio State. At least there's a couple long shots. And so, it would be nice, you know, especially in that secondary where we might be able to land somebody. Um, it would be nice to steal one out of their backyard. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a big big L for the Michigan recruiting cycle, the 2024 class. But I don't listen to these people on social media that are dogging the recruits and the you know coaching staff. It's like to me, that's insane. If you're if you're down on this 2024 recruiting class then you simply don't know ball, right? You just don't know what you're looking at because this is potentially the most exciting recruiting class Michigan has had in 20 years, uh, maybe other than the Rashawn Gary class. But, but uh, you know, th this is a special class. Um, unfortunately, Michigan took, you know, not just, not just this loss this week, but there was another guy, the guy that I thought we actually had a really good shot of landing, Michael Uwini from my neck of the woods, um, Copper's Cove, Texas. He's from right down the road of, uh, from where I was born. Uh, he commits to Georgia. Four-star offensive tackle commits to Georgia. To me, it's crazy for an offensive lineman to not commit to Michigan. But if it's going to be any team other than Michigan, Georgia makes sense, right? If you're a big boy in the trenches, uh, there's really only a couple schools that can compare to Michigan. Georgia's one of those teams. So again, we wanted him. We didn't get him. Uh, we'll w wish him luck. 
we still feel pretty good about the offensive line. I mean, I'm not worried about the O-line in Michigan. Are you? No, absolutely not. And, you know, uh, there was a lot a lot of buzz going on about Uwini's, uh potential commitment to Michigan. I know there was a crystal ball submitted after his visit, but just kind of lost steam. It's really not a huge loss for Michigan, given how they've recruited along the line this cycle already. I was really bummed about a uh, a commitment that didn't make a ton of headlines, but uh, it was a commitment that Michigan was making a lot of top lists for. Cornerback Terry and Nichols uh, committed uh, this evening, which is Sunday evening, uh, to Kentucky, four-star recruit. We've uh, needed a little bit of work rounding out those uh, cornerback spots in this class so far. So even if we get Aaron Scott, it would have been nice to get this guy. Uh, Michigan was right in the hunt till the very end, till tonight, and he ended up going with Kentucky. So best of luck to him also, but sucks to land that one. Uh, it's another position in need that Michigan needed to kind of come out of the uh, other end good on. Uh, Aaron Scott supposed to commit next month. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, they can uh, they can get a piece of that commitment and uh and yeah that would be nice but other than that i'm not potentially really worried about anything about this recruiting class yeah i mean so a a, a couple bits of bad news this week but overall the recruiting cycle has been nothing but good news and of course we landed jeremiah beasley which is nice i got to take him from from michigan state which always feels good uh so moving on from recruiting uh we had a little bit of like a peculiar news uh, coming out from our friends over at ESPN. Um, all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, ESPN implements these, these mass on-air layoffs. And everybody's like, what's going on? And um, we, we're not talking about like small names or insignificant figures. Um, effective like immediately, a bunch of people just got terminated at ESPN, we're talking about uh, Jalen Rose, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, College Game Day's David Pollock, right? Like, like, what is going on? There are Susie uh, Colbert. Uh, yeah, like what? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, these are the these are big names, right? Like, what is going on at ESPN? I I have a theory um, of what I think's going on, but let me get your initial reaction first, man. Like, how how does it feel? Uh, to see this kind of mass exodus over at ESPN. You know, I'm not totally shocked to just given uh, the state of ESPN, kind of the decline over the last few years. They've already been losing a lot of traction uh, with popularity just in general. Also on the college football trail, just because you've got all these other uh, rival shows that are, are picking up so much popularity, like Big Noon Kickoff and... Uh, stuff like that. So a lot of that's gaining traction. Uh, ESPN is kind of a little bit of a dying light. So they made a lot of what I think are questionable cuts in a lot of these people. You know, some of these guys I can recall, like with some of my core memories, like uh, sitting on a pillow on my dining room chair, eating Cheerios, watching ESPN, waiting on the top 10 in the morning. So uh, there is a little bit of sadness there. A little bit of the attachment that I probably had for ESPN is gone. 
Uh, so I don't know, man. It's uh, it's going to be a tough watch for me going forward. Man, those were the good old days. A, a bowl of Cheerios, Stuart Scott, Rich Eisen, Sports Center top ten. Man, simpler times, right? When you didn't have bills to pay and you could just sit on the couch and and watch these things. But in all seriousness, you know, ESPN has been the worldwide leader in sports for so long. It, it's a part of our makeup. It's a part of who we are as sports fans. And I think it would be uh, just wrong to not acknowledge that. But um, there's a little something else going on here. And, and I've, I've got a little bit of what you might call a conspiracy theory here, but I'm sure there, I'm sure there's numbers somewhere to back this up. So all of these layoffs are happening, and it's it's June 30th, right? A couple days ago, June 30th, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, that's strange. I, I, I recall that there's this big TV deal. You know, the Big Ten is, it was, it was, you know, pretty widely covered. Most of us college football fans know the Big Ten is going with Fox exclusively, ending this 40-plus year relationship that the Big Ten Conference has had with ESPN, and everybody sort of knows the SEC has hitched their wagon to ESPN, which is an ABC Disney company. And then the Big Ten is going to Fox and then CBS and NBC. And I was just sitting here watching all, all these guys um, th- that were getting, you know, guys and, and women that were getting fired. They were getting canned from ESPN. And we'd never seen such a mass exodus at a major network like this before, uh, especially not ESPN. And I was like, well, that's really weird. Uh, and just out of curiosity, I, I looked up when this new TV contract was going into effect. And sure enough, the new TV contract deal, the Big Ten deal with the, the new networks was July 1st. And now I, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist here, but do you think it's a coincidence that the new TV contracts go into effect July 1st? They, they can a bunch of people on... June 30th, literally the day before all these new contracts, what, what I think is going on here is ESPN knows that they're, they're about to be upside down. They got to save some money. Um, I know Disney is making some cuts from the top down, but I do think that ESPN is uh, getting the brunt of this because uh, there's something going on. I think the Big Ten is going to end up on the, on the right side of this new TV contract. Uh, you just got to think about it. Teams like Northwestern and Rutgers are going to be making more money from their TV deals than teams like Alabama and Georgia. I mean, what does that tell you about what's going on? And so as the SEC hitches their wagon to to ESPN, this may be a little bit of the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, that that uh, some, something's going on, right? There might be something uh, something more to this than just a bunch of people getting laid off. Absolutely. And while I love that, uh, that the Big Ten, in essence, kind of like is helping with doing away with ESPN a little bit, I hate the decisions that ESPN made upon being forced to make such a decision. So it sucks the people that ended up getting let go of it. But ultimately, you know, I think big, the Big Ten is on the right side of this as far as media and coverage is concerned. And uh, we're going to see a lot better, a lot better football with uh, with other networks at the helm for Michigan besides ESPN. And now I do want to just say, uh, so I, I just disclaimer, so I get it out there. I understand that ESPN is heavily leveraged into ca- the 
cable networks um, that they're 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 heavily tied with cable and young people are not watching cable. Young people are streaming. So a lot of their uh, fiscal and economic problems probably stem from that trend. And so I'm not sitting here saying that the Big Ten contract or the Big Ten leaving is the only reason this is happening. But, but you know, when I see those dates just happen to be within 24 hours of each other, these two monumental things that are happening, I don't think it's a coincidence. And I do think that it's a really good sign for the Big Ten. And I think it's something that the SEC uh, might want to keep an eye on because clearly uh, things are not well over at ESPN or, or what what we could call uh, the SEC network sometimes with the way that they're biased. But um, before we move on, let me just say, I think in 10 years, ESPN is literally just going to be Stephen A. Smith just yelling at himself in a mirror 24-7, <laughs> man. It's just going to be Stephen A., Yelling at himself in a mirror, ESPN. There's going to be three people watching it, uh, cable network. <laughs> That's it. So it's going to just going to be him and one other guy, whoever has recently retired from the game of basketball, will be vert- facing off against Stephen A. Smith in a yelling contest uh, for the rest of time. I'm convinced yeah. of it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Rest in peace, ESPN. It was nice to know you. Um, (laughs) all right. Uh, let's get to some Michigan football. Okay. So, I mean, this is a Michigan football podcast. Uh, we are the big house bleachers podcast. So we're going to talk about what we know and love the most, which is Michigan football. This week, we're going to ask each other a few burning questions about the defense. So we're going to run through some defensive position groups and ask some burning questions uh, and then next week, we're going to look at the offense. And I've got some really good news. Uh, just before we started recording, Lexi Westert agreed to hop on the pod with us next week. So there'll they'll be three of us. And the first lady of Michigan football, as I like to call her, will be joining us uh, to, to run through the offense. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, but it's just the two of us this week. Let's uh, dive into the defense. Uh, how do you want to get this thing started, man? You want to start with uh, the D-line? Yeah, absolutely. Right up front, I think uh, we start with the big guys, the defensive line. If you're like me, which I know you are, you probably split your questions into two parts for both the inside and the outside. So I'm ready to roll whenever you are, my friend. Big boys in the middle and the tricky guys on the edge, man. That's how I split up the line right there. So uh, hit me with it whenever you're ready. All right. So and also keep in mind with all of these questions that uh, that I'm throwing out there, none of them are meant specifically like with with doubt being the context. It's more just centered around like these are things that we have yet to tangibly see on the football field. So these are some questions that I've got with the defensive line. I think I'm going to start with guys like Rashawn Benny, Kenneth Grant. We've yet to see these guys with uh, with efficient football minutes on the field. So I want to know, are these guys ready to take the next step at uh, at a dominant defensive tackle type position? What do you think? Man, you know, that's oddly similar to, to my uh, interior D-line question. And so... I'm I'm going to say yes that they are ready to take the next step. All eyes are on Mason Graham 
and Chris Jenkins. But we know Michigan likes to cycle guys through that D-line. And so I think a lot of us tend to think, we're, we're thinking about the season coming up, and we think like, oh, Mason Graham and Chris Jenkins, it's going to be back and forth, and those guys are going to get the action. You got to remember, like we're going to be seeing a, a lot of different guys on that D-line. And so Benny, uh, big boy Kenneth Grant, uh, who's starting to look pretty freakish, uh, like they're definitely going to get some minutes. Now, the question is, are they going to be able to step up and play elite minutes and make big plays and big games? And, you know, I, I'm going to say yes for both of them, actually. I, I, I don't feel like either one of those guys is going to disappear or shrink from the moment. Uh, that's just my guess. And so let me hit you with a question that's uh, very similar. And so... The, the question I was asking, because all eyes are on Mason Graham and Chris Jenkins, is, is the world sleeping on Kenneth Grant? You know, I, uh, I think there has been a little bit of sleeping going on since the spring game. There was a lot of buzz about Kenny Grant being the first overall pick in the spring game. Uh, I know he practically, like, mowed a dude over like a locomotive at one point. So uh, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, there's yet to be much seen of him in real time game minutes of him being efficient like that. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that <clears throat> I think that he's going to be a force. It'll just be interesting to see what kind of run that he gets uh, against some of the bigger names like uh, later on down the road, like Penn State and guys like that so we'll see man i think that uh that it's going to be interesting to watch and if you follow michigan football like either of us do you know harbaugh considers anybody within the two deep a starter so that's kind of where my question centers around just like what you were getting at is is he going to be ready to hang with the likes of mason graham and chris jenkins and play at that same level because that is what Michigan's going to expect out of him. They're going to essentially expect them to be Chris Jenkins from a year ago, uh, waiting in the winds behind Mozzie Smith. So we'll see, man. My favorite thing about what you just said was that you called him Kenny Grant. It just makes me, it makes me imagine that he's like a, 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 a old buddy of yours that you went to elementary school with. Like, oh, Kenny, oh, Kenny Grant. Eating over Cheerios. There. I don't, just eating eating Cheerios, watching Sports Center with with Kenny Grant. Uh, <laughs> all right, you know I heard uh, I heard somebody mention it on In the Trenches or something like that's just his name, and I just went with it. I thought it was Kenneth, so I, I you know you, you it was smooth. When you say Kenny, it it makes it it's, it has a much more uh, uh, personal touch to it. So uh, let's let's shift it out to the edge, and I'll go ahead and take this one first. Um, so our guy Braden McGregor, right? He has uh, unfairly been compared to Aiden Hutchinson. Our friend Jared Stormer uh, on the Out of the Blue Pod, he 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 made a comment that you know I really thought he was right. He's like, we need to stop comparing this guy to Aiden Hutchinson. It's not really a fair comparison. It's like it's like it, almost like comparing somebody to Charles Woodson. It's like what like what are we doing here, right? Like just let the guy be himself. So. I'm not going to compare him to Aiden Hutchinson anymore, but I do, 
I do want to compare him to what I believe his potential is. And I don't think this dude has lived up to his potential at all. And we, we thought we would see a big step up on the edge from him last season. So my question is, does Braden McGregor finally reach his potential this year? You know, it, it all kind of just depends, I guess, on what you view as potential as a Michigan fan. You know, like you said, a lot of Michigan fans have unfairly dubbed him uh, the heir apparent to Aiden Hutchinson, which is not fair in any world. Do I think that it's possible for him? Maybe not achieve like Aiden Hutchinson-esque numbers, but maybe something similar? I do just because of his measurables and his potential. Uh, but uh, as you know, I've been I've been relatively harsh on him up to this point on the pod. Not harsh, but just uh, have called him out a couple times. So I'm not going to backpedal on anything that I've said. I think that uh, that he still has a good season, but probably more of uh, maybe like. I don't know, maybe like a Mike Morris type, a little bit less than like a Mike Morris type uh, season, if he can put it all together on the football field. I completely agree with what Mr. Stormer said about uh, about just Xing out the comparison because he's not Hutch. Really, nobody's going to be Hutch on this roster. I mean, obviously, we hope that, but nobody's exactly who Hutch was or what Hutch is capable of on this team. So everybody's going to play to their own styles differently. And, uh, and I don't think that we should expect any type of crazy season from Mr. McGregor, but I do think that he takes a massive step forward in his production this year. Yeah. You know, I feel the same way, by the way, I, I, I think he's going to play, play well, I don't think he's going to blow our minds or anything. Now, a Mike Morris season, to me, that would be living up to his potential. If, if he has a Mike Morris season, then he, then he freaking killed it, right? Like it's that's kind of what I mean. Like That's where yeah. I see his ceiling being. If, uh, yeah. if he can put it all together on the field, I think that that's where you'll see him. And can he do that? I mean, we saw it at the end of the season with what he did uh, putting pressure on OSU, TCU, uh, so you know that the skills are there. It's just, can he kind of get by some of those mental battles? And even he referenced this on John Jansen's In the Trenches podcast with just getting by some of those mental battles from going through his injury previously and not managing his limitations properly. So if he can do it, man, I think that that there's a good season in the works for him. But don't expect like, 12 13 sacks out of this guy you know let him get his uh who knows he could be like that in the nfl later on but for this season at michigan just expect something reasonable but but good you know yeah yeah agreed uh what do you got cooking on the edge for me let's see on the edge now a lot's been made of uh, of really kind of the same thing of what I was referencing about the defensive line, right? So the same as with Kenneth Grant as it is with, uh, with um, Rashawn Benny, we haven't seen kind of like a dominant presence on the edge. We've seen Jalen Harrell 
We've seen Derek Moore, guys like that tear it up. But they're kind of, it's yet to be determined who's going to be a dominant force coming off the edge, if there is going to be one that's like a game breaker. So I'm going to ask you, week one, do we see somebody begin to take that path with two sacks in, uh, in week one? Oh, two sacks in week one? Um, Let's say maybe maybe a step further, a little more bold. Do we see somebody that can maybe take on two, maybe even three sacks in week one? So I do believe that... I do believe that it's going to be a much more evenly spread out, that there, there's probably not going to be one guy. We've got uh, Josiah Stewart, Jalen Harrell, uh, you know... A lot of guys are going to be making plays on the outside there. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Jalen Harrell is the guy, though, actually. He, he impressed me on film last year, and uh, he's, he's not perfect. He's, he's, got, he's got to get a lot better, but that's what the offseason is for. Um, I also think he'll be in the games pretty, you know, relatively late. Like, even if it's a blowout, I think we're going to get three full quarters from him. So, uh, multiple sack game, week one, week two, that'd be my guy. That'd be my guess right there. I, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick. Final answer, Jalen Harrell. That's good, you know, and the only reason not to put any limitations on Jalen Harrell, but uh, we've seen him already field high high snap counts in the previous two years, you know, he's no, he's uh no new guy to this Michigan football mm-hmm. team. So he's been out there a good bit already. It just kind of remains to be seen if uh, he can kind of take that step and break through to, uh, to get to the quarterback a little bit more. And I think he has all the potential in the world to do it. It's just a matter of, can he make that curve despite already having a lot of playing time and uh, and nothing statistically that really jumps off the page at you, so to speak. Yeah, I mean Derek Moore is an interesting guy uh, as well, but I, I yeah I think I think Harold is the one I'm going to stick with there because of the experience. Because you're talking about an impact early in the season, it just it just makes sense to me. Um, anybody else or any other burning questions for you in that? At front line before we move to the linebackers? I don't think so. I think you answered that one for me, but uh, if you will, I'll lead us into it. This is a question that I'm sure you'll have some personal stake in, being that he's one of your guys, right? But uh, let's see. <clears throat> Can Mike Barrett hang on to the number two linebacker spot on this Michigan football team? I'm a big Barrett guy myself. I know you got this young cat, Ernest Hausman, that's chomping at the bit probably uh, in practice right now. He's probably right on his ass. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out over the course of the season, how the three of them can coexist on the football field. Obviously, Barrett's minutes won't get too cut, I imagine, even if Hausman overtakes him. But uh, but what do you think? Does uh, does the veteran Mike Barrett have what it takes to still still be viewed as a viable option at linebacker too? This is the most obvious question for the backers, and so it's the same question that I wrote down. Just so, just so we're clear, we have basically the way that I framed it was a little different, but it's the same question. I said, 
I said, will Michael Barrett or Ernest Hausman be starting next to Colson by the end of the season? Because the way, the way I see it is at the beginning of the season, Mike Barrett is, is going to be that guy. Colson's a, he's a uh, underclassman. He's a newer addition to the team. It makes the most sense to have Barrett and Colson out there early and often. Now, the question becomes, near the end of the season, when you're in Big Ten play, if Hausman is just tearing it up, uh, using his athleticism, getting better and better every single game, can he overcome Michael Barrett by the end of the season? The truth is, I don't know. I don't know. Barrett has shown that he can make big plays and big moments and big games for a long time. I think it's it's fair to say that we see Mike Barrett and Junior Colson starting the entire season, and we see Hausman get a, a ton of rotational minutes, um, depending on what defense we're in. You know, you we might be able to get them all on the field at times. You know, I, I I'm not really sure, but but uh, Chris Partridge has his work cut out for him. Of course, that's the Michigan linebackers coach I'm referring to. He's got his work cut out for him because these are three. This it's like one A, one B, and one C when you're talking about these linebackers. And so the real question marks come when you start talking about, uh, you know, Jimmy Rolder and those guys. But uh, so that's my politician's uh, non-answer for you. I did. I didn't really give you an answer. I have no freaking clue. Uh, I'll go ahead and just lean towards that Barrett retains the starting position, even though I really think that Ernest Hausman is going to be that guy. I just think may- maybe we see it more next year. I mean, you're, you're right to not uh, disparage the name of Mike Barrett. If anyone has seen his Tanner Morgan sack, he would quickly treat my friend Mike Smeltzer like uh, our friend Tanner Morgan in that video. So you're right to uh, to take the stance that you're taking, my friend. Well, and, and let me let me clear something up. Just because I'm an Ernest Hausman guy doesn't mean I'm not a Mike Barrett guy. I freaking love Mike Barrett. I've ac- actually I spent some time talking with Mike Barrett Senior, his dad, uh, a little bit, who follows Wolverine Chronicle on Twitter. Shout out Mike Barrett Senior. Thank you for the support. Um, but so I love I love Mike Barrett, but uh. You know, Hausman's just exciting to me. To me, he he's got some Devin Bush qualities, and I I, I feel like he could develop into uh, maybe even like an All American caliber player. And so, to me, uh, it, it's just it's exciting to think about where Ernest Hausman could go. So, anyway, that we we basically covered the the linebacker question. That's like the most burning linebacker question. Let's move to the secondary. Um, I'll, I'll lead off the secondary. Let's start with the cornerbacks here. And, and uh, this is a little curveball of a question because I, I, think, I think a lot of people are thinking Amarion Walker you know, versus Josh Wallace, the tra- transfer in from UMass. But I got, I got a, a question for you that I don't necessarily agree with. It's, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Is it possible that Jaden McBurrows is actually the CB2, the, sec- the number two cornerback, and we just don't realize it yet? Is, is, there, a, is there a chance that McBurrows is sitting there across from Will Johnson when we come out for week one? You know, I, uh, I just don't see it. I know a lot of people have 
have fan casted him there, uh, so to speak. Uh, but I just don't know. He's been he's been around a while, and really, if anything, it kind of seems like Jair Hill is is kind of even the one, if anything, that's picking up a little bit of steam at this point. So I know a lot of people are saying like, "Don't sleep on McBurrows, don't sleep on McBurrows," uh, but. I don't know. You know, he did flash a little bit uh, in the spring game, I think. But I think, uh, if anything, it's probably Jair Hill that uh, that ends up maybe starting at some point in the season. Uh, just because if you've seen some of his some of this kid's comments, like he is so fired up, he's very determined to to crack this Michigan rotation, and I think he sees an opportunity. With uh, with Michigan's, I mean, not imbalance because they've obviously gotten Josh Wallace, but he sees it being probably the closest opportunity depth wise for him to be able to get in there. So I'm pretty high on Jair Hill. Really, in saying that, I kind of answer like my own question that that I have for you. But uh, and you've kind of answered the question, too, maybe in Jaden McBurrows, but. My question about the quarterback position is, uh, if not Josh Wallace, if for some reason, like, Josh Wallace gets overtaken or, God forbid, like, Will Johnson gets injured, that's something that nobody's even talking about. You know, Will Johnson coming off of surgery this offseason, you know, knee surgery. So, God forbid, if anything were to happen to our Lord and Savior, Will Johnson, uh, like you need somebody in the tank, and uh, and who do you think that 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 might be? Is my question for you? Yeah, and by the way, I fully accept the the answer you provided to my question. Um, I think that's a I think it's a great outlook, and I think Jair Hill is definitely a stud. Um, he's been raising some eyebrows. You know, just for fun, I'm gonna circle the wagons here. I'm gonna say a Marion Walker. Why not? I, I actually don't think it's Jaden McBurrows. I, I just think that there's a chance that we're sleeping on Jaden McBurrows a little bit. But I'm going to go back to Amarion Walker, the guy that we were excited about. So um, I do think Will Johnson and Josh Wallace are the starters. I, I, I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, it makes the most sense. And then I think you've got three other guys that are going to mix in during primetime minutes. You're, it's probably Jaden McBurrows, Amarion Walker, and uh, Jair Hill, you know those are those are the the five cornerbacks that we're looking at. We're a little thin. Um, we're to, we're top heavy at cornerback, I should say. And of course, uh, Mike Sandra still will be, uh, you know, in the mix as well. But he's more like a, a slot corner. He's he's you know a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage most times. And so, you know, I think that Amarion Walker. There's a reason that the coaching staff decided to move him to the de- defensive side of the ball. We don't know the whole story about why he struggled so much in the spring game. There may be some very simple technique fixes that go a long way. I'm going to give Coach Clink a little bit of credit here and say that he, his work with Amarion Walker is, is going to make a difference. And so uh, I think Amarion is going to be the guy after Josh Wallace and Will Johnson, but I think it'll take a few weeks. You know, I think it'll be, I think McBurrows just because of his familiarity with the team and the system, maybe early on. And then we see guys like Amarion Walker and Jair Hill a little bit later in the season start to emerge. 
Yeah, I think uh, that's pretty agreeable. And just for the record, you know, I had as kind of my backup question, who starts week one? I do think it'll be Josh Wallace. I was very high uh, going into his recruitment whenever he entered the transfer portal. But that doesn't mean that I think that he's going to be the guy. It's more just like a depth thing. Like if you're going to compete for a national championship, you need depth, right? Because that's what good teams have, like Georgia, like Alabama, like Ohio State. You have to have a deep roster. So I was very high on that recruitment uh, whenever he transferred, before he transferred to Michigan. But I still think that uh, Jair Hill, uh, who was a guy that I was very high on in the spring game, kind of maybe even overtakes that position or puts himself maybe in like a Zeke Barry type role where he's like the next man up going into next year. So who knows? Yeah. 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 Um, all right. You want to get into the safeties here? Yeah. Safeties. If you've uh, even got a question about this glorious safety group, fire away. Well, I'm going a little bit deeper here. So, I definitely have a question about the safety group, but it's a little deeper in the roster. So our guy, Caden Colazar, was a special teams masterclass last year. I, I, I've got all the faith in the world that this guy is going to surprise some people. I think that Colazar is one of those gamers, right? Jay Harbaugh loves this guy. I, I think he's going to hit the field. My question is, Will Caden Colazar make an impact in the secondary? So on the defense, will he, will he get snaps? Will he make an impact? I really hope so, man, because I was, uh, like you, very big on Caden Colazar going into last season before he got injured. So I think that there's a place for him on this team. I think that he's going to make a huge impact, whether he touches the secondary or just remains on special teams. But I would love to see him uh, maybe in the secondary a little bit, maybe even like on some form of kick or punt returns, something. I mean, like like you said, this kid is a gamer, so find a way to get him involved and uh, get him on the field somehow besides just trying to block kicks and stuff. The dude was like special teams player of the week a couple times before he got hurt. Like he was killing it and... Um, you just love guys like that that are scrappy. They don't have all the physical, you know, tangible qualities that everybody else on the team has. But something just tells you he's something tells you he's going to be in the thick of things, making plays. And so, um, of course, we're going to see Rod Moore and Makari Page back there getting a lot of a lot of the snaps. And then uh, guys like Zeke Barry are very exciting to talk about. But I just think Caden Colazar deserves to be on the field. And so. It'll be interesting to see if he gets back there during any meaningful snaps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over to me, I'm going to ask you, uh, and I'm glad you didn't touch this question because, like I said, there's probably not a lot of questions to go around for the safety position, but uh, Makari Page, kind of the lone, uh, not even a question mark, really, like a question mark asterisk type deal. But uh, Makari Page obviously was not the starter uh, for the majority of last season uh, in favor of now Florida Gator transferred uh, R.J. Moten. 
Uh, so will Makari Page have what it takes to cement himself opposite of uh, of Rod Moore, and uh, and how will he do? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, the answer is yes. He will cement himself into that position. I I think that's why R.J. Moten transferred. I think that was a a direct signal to all of us that Makari was the guy. The coaching staff had faith in him. He was here to stay. I don't think you see a guy like R.J. Moten transfer if there's still a, kind of an open competition going on. You know, it's always an open competition, but I, I feel like th- these guys aren't idiots. They know. They know. They know who the coaches are trusting. And uh, there was a very clear changing of the guard in that secondary when Makari started to take over that position. Um, now, with that being said, I'm very high on Zeke Barry. Zeke Barry is my like sneaky player of the year on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I know you've heard me say this many times already, but when I got to that spring game and I was watching uh, Zeke Barry, uh, he jumped off the field at me. I like I really think this guy's going to be special. So is is there like an outside chance that Zeke Barry could take a starting spot? Like yeah, maybe, but um, very unlikely. I think. We're going to see Rod Moore be one of the best safeties in the country. And then uh, I think we're going to see uh, Makari Page be one, one of the better safeties in the Big Ten. So it should, should be a, a good secondary all the way around. Absolutely. And, uh, and like you said, you know, Makari Page already getting more than his fair share of run last year. Just because he didn't start doesn't mean he didn't play. The guy pretty much, if I'm not mistaken either came very close or maybe even out-snapped uh, Moten in the in the long term. But still, a ton of playing time last year. Started, I think, four or five games, uh, but they were all towards the end of the season. So that should go great. If it doesn't, Zeke Barry is going to be phenomenal. So Michigan, very set at the safety position for a long time, probably. Well, that concludes our burning questions on the defensive side of the ball. Matt, I want to take a minute to cut away to an interview I did earlier this week behind enemy lines week one with Steven Igo of Hoist the Colors. We took an in-depth look at the week one matchup, Michigan versus East Carolina, and I got some intel on uh, what to look out for on this East Carolina team. So Matt and I will be right back, but we're going to send you over to the Wolverine Chronicle interview with Steven Igo. Welcome to a Wolverine Chronicle exclusive segment behind enemy lines. This week we are looking at week one, Michigan versus East Carolina. We're still a couple months away, but uh, I have a very special guest that wants to take a little deep dive with me into that week one matchup. I've got Steven Igo publisher of Hoist the Colors, which is, of course, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Steven, what's up, dude? Not much, man. I know it is uh, closing in on July, almost to, to football season. To me, like when you get to July, uh, you, you're kind of working through the dog days of summer. So I'm, I'm just ready for August to get here because then it'll fly by and then we'll be in the football season. Of course, that means East Carolina at Michigan. So excited to talk with you, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, once we get within about 100 days of kickoff, I think that's when everybody starts starts feeling it, starts counting down the days and um so we're going to look we're going to look at this week 1 matchup and of course things are subject to change uh in the off season between now and then, but it's never too early to start talking about Michigan football or in your case, 
East Carolina football. So even though we are, uh, you know, on, on that day in September, we'll be mortal enemies right now. We can we can talk as friends and get to get to know each other's teams a little bit. Um, I'm going to jump right in. Sound good? Let's do it, man. All right. Um, what position group do you expect to be the strength of this East Carolina team this year? So I, I think defensively is where you have to start just because they are honestly losing a lot on both sides of the ball in terms of proven production, especially on offense. But defensively, they, they were terrible in pass coverage last year and really basically they're, they're resetting their whole secondary. So that's maybe a blessing in disguise in some regard, which we can get into. But the, the entire defensive front returns uh, and they were really good against the run last year. That was by far the strength of the defense. Now they are replacing a couple of linebackers, but they've got guys that have been in the program who have, you know, you know, Mike Houston's did a good job recruiting and developing. They've got a lot of third and fourth year players who are going to step into roles this year who have been waiting their time. So although they are down starters at linebackers, they have a mix of those guys plus some transfers, which we can talk about. But the defensive front is the strength. Uh, they're, they're pretty two, three deep at every position along the front. They like to go three, four. They go four, three. They mix and match based on kind of the personnel they're facing. Uh, they even do some five-down stuff. They have basically a hybrid outside linebacker who they'll switch back and forth between stand-up and on the line of scrimmage, dropping back into coverage, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the strength of the defense, strength in numbers. They don't really have like a dominant standout guy, but they're just solid at every position. And then offensively, the running back room, despite the loss of Keaton Mitchell, who is now with the Baltimore Ravens, they're really deep. They added Georgia Southern transfer Gerald Green, who I think will be a second or third string back, but they – Returned Marlon Gunn Jr., who had a really solid freshman year. They have Rajay Harris, who's been an uh, American Athletic Conference all-rookie team selection. He's coming off a knee injury. He'll be back. Uh, they've got a young guy, Javius Bond, who they like. they got UNC transfer Camaro Edmonds. They've got another guy they like as well. So they're five or six deep at running back they feel good about. Again, it's just maybe not the star power there, but in terms of numbers, in terms of guys they can roll in and out, I think you feel really good about those two positions in particular. Well, you mentioned that defensive front as uh, the strength of the team, and they're going to have their work cut out for them because this this offensive line and running back core at Michigan is is perhaps the best that I've seen since I've been watching Michigan, which is about 35 years. Um, let's go ahead and, and look at the not-so-impressive uh, part of the team. So what position group do you expect to uh, potentially be a weakness? I think for me it's, uh, you know, like I, I'll talk, I look at the secondary end. On paper, it's a weakness because none of the guys are proven, but just from, from being out there in workouts in the spring, like I think they've gotten better in terms of talent and length. They're much longer. They run better. They brought in, uh, you know, Rod Rod Dilworth, who was a former four-star transfer from UNC, who had a good spring. Siobhan Revels, a 6'2", 180-pound corner who runs a 4'4". He was a JUCO transfer, and he just didn't play a whole lot last year because he was kind of acclimating to the program. He also had some injuries. And so, that, like, those two guys, to me, are potential NFL players. They just haven't played a whole lot. So you, you just don't know what you're going to get, especially going to a season opener at Michigan. Uh, they also have some other transfers they brought in. At corner, they brought in two other transfers from North Carolina at safety and corner, respectively, a Louisville transfer at corner. Uh, at safety, they do return Julius Wood and Tegan Wilk, who have played a lot of football. But the secondary as a whole has a ton of moving parts. So – like on paper, it's how's it all going to fit together? Uh, and then, of course, the linebacking transfers as well. So you got a lot of moving parts in the, in the back half of the defense. That's a question mark for me. 
And then offensively, again, receiver, the passing game, they, they lost two 1,000-yard receivers. New quarterback for the first time since 2018, the first part of 2018. So that's a major concern. I mean, they are very high on the upside of Mason Garcia, who's a former four-star recruit, again, who has been in the program. This is his fourth year. He's kind of been groomed for this moment. But there were times in the spring where Alex Flynn, who's a fifth-year guy, looked better than him running the offense. So inexperience is the, is the weakness, I would say, just because the guys haven't gone out and done it. They've been in the program, though. It's just an, instead of opening with an FCS team at home, you're opening at Michigan, and that's, <laughs> that's a concern for a new starting quarterback, really a new passing game and a new pass defense. Yeah, traveling to the big house isn't exactly the easiest no. uh, week one matchup. But I tell you what, it's, it's going to be a hell of an experience for these, these guys that are filling new roles, and then it's, it's all uh, easy breezy from there. So Right, jumping into the fire, and then it gets uh, it's all uphill from there, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of segued perfectly into my next question, which is who do you expect to be uh, the primary offensive impact player, that guy that – uh, the Michigan coaching staff is going to want a game plan against. And I, I, I will say, so I don't know much about East Carolina. I don't, I don't follow you, know, you guys very closely, but I did a little poking around before we hopped on today. And uh, I noticed uh, basically, you know, all your playmakers from last year ended up in the NFL, right? R- leading rusher, leading receiver. Uh, I think you even got a quarterback that's, uh, yeah. where is he, in Se- Seattle or Seattle. something? So. Yeah, so it, it seems like you guys are retooling. So who's going to be that guy this year on the offense? Yes, yeah, that's, that, that's the question. I mean, I think in an ideal world, so Mason Garcia, they've, again, they've kind of groomed him to be the guy. And, and I'll tell you what, man, like physically, you cannot draw up a better quarterback prospect. He's 6'5", he's 240, he can run. He probably runs a 4'5", four, 4'6". Four, I mean, he is fast now. And he's got a cannon for an arm. It's just... The accuracy has been inconsistent at times, and then understanding defensive concepts, what defenses are trying to throw at him can be an issue. Uh, and again, so that's, that's just going to come with experience as he gets into the system. So if Mason Garcia can handle the starting job, he is a guy who you can build your offense around from the standpoint of he's a threat to keep it on every play because he's big and fast, and he can throw the football down the field. It's just can he consistently make the plays to – string together drives. I think he has the potential to make a bunch of big plays. So I think if you're Michigan, you have to keep that in mind. If they go with Flynn as the starting quarterback, he's more of a, hey, he's going to manage the offense, make the routine plays to move them down the field. So I lean towards Garcia being the guy ultimately, unless Flynn just completely outperforms him due to Garcia's upside. But I think it's going to start with the running game. Uh, I think they're really high on Marlon Gunn, who's originally from Louisiana, who is a big, powerful back. And then Rajay Harris, if he can get back to his healthy freshman year form, that's kind of a one-two punch. You can really build your, your running game around. And then the, the passing game, Jalen Johnson, is he was really good last year. He was kind of the third option, dealt with a back injury, but now he's moved into the slot. And with C.J. Johnson, Isaiah Winstead onto the pros uh, as 1,000-yard receivers, he's going to be a more focused guy. Uh, of the offense. So those are kind of the names to watch out for. And then they brought in, you know, Colorado transfer, Chase Soul, Kansas transfer, Keelan Robinson. They returned tight end Shane Calhoun. It, it may have to be by committee early in the season until somebody steps up and kind of proves they're the go-to guy in, in a spot like the big house. So it sounds like when you were talking about the quarterbacks that there, there is not a clear-cut starter. Is that right? That it, Garcia and Flynn, uh, it, there might be a little competition heading into the fall? 
That that is how they're they're selling it, and I think it it really did become a competition with how much of a jump Alex Flynn made in the spring. He's a guy who's a pre med student. He's he's put off going to medical school as a fifth year guy to return. He's already got his degree in hand and basically trying to win the starting position. So like you know you've got two guys who are very different, but again who have been in the program, same offensive coordinator, same system. So like it's not like they don't. It's not like they don't know what they're doing. They just haven't played a whole lot because Holton Aylers was a four, four-and-a-half-year starter. But these guys have gotten a lot of one reps in practice. They've gone against the, the number one defense. They've gotten some game action. So it, it's just kind of a, hey, do we, do we want to take this competition into the season till we determine a starter? You know, given how good Michigan is, I don't know if you want to mess around with, let's go with a two-quarterback system until – you know, somebody who takes the job in that opener, I think they're going to want to go in with a starter, but it wouldn't shock me if both guys played. Mm-hmm. Again, I just think with Garcia, and if they're going to build this offense around the running game, I think if he can prove he can be the guy, I think he'll start. It's just how it goes from there is the, the big question. Well, yeah, it sounds like there's some question marks on the offensive side of the ball, but question marks aren't always bad, right? You see, that's where you get some you get some surprises, some guys step in to fill some big shoes. But you mentioned uh, earlier the the strength on that defensive line and so that leads to the next most obvious question which is if you were going to pick one guy that's kind of the singular impact playmaker on the defensive side of the ball are you going to stick with that front that front seven or is there somebody in the secondary that's that that standout guy so I think the guy who like I look at and has the most potential if he has the type of season he can have as far as an NFL guy is Julius Wood he's actually they're they're returning uh, field safety. You know, he's 6'2", he's 195, he, he can run like crazy. Last year was his first year as a starter. He had a pick six against Memphis. He's kind of the guy who can make a game-changing play. And so he, he's great in the run game, can be very dynamic in the, the past defense game. So like, he would be the guy that I circle in, in terms of, hey, if ECU's going to have a chance, he's going to have to make a big play defensively uh, at some point in the game. You know, I think you can rely on the defensive front to do their job and not, you know, just get totally ransacked in that game. I, mean, I know Michigan's got a premier rushing attack, dynamic rushers, et cetera, but it's not like ECU hasn't seen good running games before. This will just be at another level. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But th- I don't think they'll go in intimidate just because of their experience up front. But I-, I think Jeremy Lewis on the edge is kind of the – he's a 6'3", 235-pound outside linebacker. You know, former tight end, made the switch to defense a couple of years ago. He's kind of their best pass rusher and kind of your premier guy off the edge. And then Elijah Morris, Deontay Johnson are their best interior guys. So uh, more solid up front, I would say. And then Julius Wood, kind of the playmaking ability. He, he has all conference potential on the back end at safety. Well, ECU managed to win some games last year. Uh, I think it was, what, 500 or, or just above 500. Is that right? Yeah, so they went seven and five in the regular season and beat Coastal um, Carolina in the bowl game. So eight and five overall. Eight and five, yeah, winning record with a, a bowl win. And so to me, that's a team that should not be overlooked, whether you're Michigan, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State. It's like you don't want to overlook these guys because they're sending guys to the NFL. Uh, they're winning bowl games. Um, I, I, I never want to assume that a team like Michigan is just going to handle a team like this. And so – Let's take a look. Uh, I want to give you a chance to maybe make a prediction or talk about where you expect ECU to finish in the American Conference. So where do you see these guys landing uh, this year in the conference? So it's, it's interesting. You know, if this was 
it, you know, you said earlier, like, is our question marks a bad or a good thing? And like on paper, nobody's going to pick ECU to win the American because they don't have that proven production. If they had last year's team returning, they'd probably be picked to win the league. But just following the program and following recruiting, like Mike Houston, he's won everywhere he's been. This is year five. He's had a chance to recruit and develop his kids. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't go and say EC is going to win a championship. I wouldn't make that prediction. But it would not shock me if something like that happens because the culture set, the guys know the standard. And, and honestly, there are guys that are taking over starting positions that are more talented than the, the, the players in front of them. You know, they were recruited uh, for that reason. And they sat and learned, you know, the culture, et cetera. Kind of like Jim Harbaugh built in Michigan. Uh, you know, set the foundation, then brought in higher caliber recruits. So how that transition is going to go, it could go one of two ways. Uh, it could be a mix, mixed bag for sure. Uh, I would pick them in the, you know, upper middle pack of the American. Like I think teams, UTSA is coming in from CompUSA. They, they've finished top 25 the last two years with two CompUSA titles. Uh, Memphis, SMU is, is, has just made a killing in the transfer portal with NIL. Um, those type of teams along with Tulane, which beat USC in the bowl game last year, the, the major bowl game, that's kind of looked at as the upper tier. And then to me, like ECU's in that next tier of if the unknowns break the right way, you know, they get Tulane at home, they get SMU at home on a Thursday night. I think things could, could get interesting, but that's kind of how I would handicap it. Like, I think they're probably a bowl team unless they just can't figure out the quarterback situation. And then beyond that, it just kind of depends on what the rest of the league looks like. Well, they take on Michigan week one uh, at the big house. So go ahead and finish this sentence for me. East Carolina wins if. If uh, Michigan plays uh, a, a terrible game, A, <laughs> overlooks ECU, B, and ECU has a new starting quarterback that ends up being a star. To me, that's the only way they go into the big house and, and win it look, I mean, everybody wants to point to App State around here because they're in the same state, and they went into Michigan several years ago and won. But you look at the this, the talent level Harbaugh has risen that program to the expectations. Basically, it's you know from the outside looking in, it looks like a national championship or, or bust type year, just given everybody coming back in Ann Arbor. And you know, I don't think they'll overlook ECU in the opener, but you never know. College students are going to be college students. How many of them have actually? followed ECU or know all about ECU. Like in ECU's history back in the 90s, they used to go on the road and upset some powerhouses. But you know, that was a while ago. They're just getting back to the program standard that they kind of set back then. And so, you know, nothing would shock me this day and age of college football, but they're going to have to play out of their minds. They're going to have to have a lot of things go right. They'll have to get some lucky bounces. And I think Mason Garcia or Alex Flynn would have to you know, just have the performance of a lifetime and kind of establish himself as the next great ECU quarterback. And, you know, time will ultimately tell which of those guys, if either of them end up being that. Well, let's go ahead and, and flip it and turn the table here. Finish this sentence. Michigan wins if. Michigan wins if, definitely wins going away if they establish the running game, which their offense is built around. And I think of ECU, you know, their, their ultimate goal is going to be go in and not just get demoralized in the running game. Because if you're giving up six, seven yards a pop, like Michigan is certainly capable of, you're not going to have a chance. So uh, if Michigan establishes the run, it'll be over in the first quarter. And the only chance ECU has to 
keep it close, put some pressure on Michigan is to stop the run. And hey, if you give up a big pass or two early and that means you're stopping the run, maybe you live with that. You just can't get into a situation where they're lining up in, in pro style and, and getting six, seven, eight yards a chunk. And ECU's done a good job of stopping that in the past. It's just this is going to be a different beast. And, and overall, if Michigan just shows up and plays this game, you know, the, the talent level is obvious. They got multiple first, second round, third round NFL picks. They, they got a shot to win a national championship for a reason. If they show up, get out to a big lead, it's going to be hard for ECU to keep pace. But, hey, it's college sports. Anything can happen. And uh, who knows on September 2nd. Well, Stephen, I'm going to hit you with the, the next question, which is often like pulling teeth when you ask a guy this question. So I'm going to see if you'll give me an answer here or not. Do you have a score prediction for the Michigan East Carolina game? Well, so the line, so the line is at what? 36, I think around 36, which again, I've talked about this with a lot of people. Like at first it surprised me, but then I went and looked at Michigan's past openers with Jim Harbaugh, like the last handful of years, and they've just been crushing people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think East Carolina is a higher caliber program than than a lot of those teams. So, like, I I lean towards it being high 20s, low 30s. You know, like, nothing would shock me. Like, I look at 45 to 10, 45, 14, and that would be a cover for ECU. I mean, I don't think it it would be a success for ECU necessarily, but at least if you lay the money, it would be a cover. So, I'm going to go – I'm going to go 40, 45, 14, uh, Michigan wins. All right. And I'm not going to hold that against you. We're in the that's, middle of the offseason. You know, we, we might replay that down the line. But uh, I, I just respect you actually giving me some numbers there because uh, and it was it was you're a realist, too. Right. Like, right. I, you know, I thought you might be predicting the upset of the century. <laughs> but, but no, we got to we got to we live here on Earth. So. Yeah, I mean, look, as much as I would love uh, for, for my website to see the benefits of an East Carolina <laughs> yeah. victory over Michigan, it's just it's going to be a tall task. And again, with all the inexperience, like it's just a lot to ask. Now, I mean, Mich- or, uh, Mike Houston, he did take the Citadel into South Carolina and win at South Carolina with the Citadel. And he took James Madison into ECU when he was the James Madison coach and beat ECU 34-14. to But at the same time, those programs, ECU and South Carolina, were, were very down at those times. Michigan is going to be far from down. So it's going to be a tall task, and uh, it's going to take a special effort just for ECU to have a chance on uh, September 2nd. I can't imagine that recruiting guys to Citadel is uh, very easy. So that's impressive. No. I didn't know that. That's a very impressive line right there. Yeah, he's, uh, he's done a heck of a job, man. I mean, he's, he's a proven winner, and it's taken him time to build at ECU just because the program was in such bad shape. But He'll have the guys motivated, and he's going to. T- I think he said he's going to take them to the big house the night before the game, just to like have them soak in the the stadium, the atmosphere, which they usually don't do. You know, usually just go yeah. the night before, stay at the hotel, and then go to the game. He's actually going to take them to the venue, say, "Hey guys, this is where we're playing." I'm sure he'll give a nice pump up speech, and uh, they'll roll out the next day, twelve noon. I was hoping for a night game in Ann Arbor, but uh, hey, we'll take the uh, we'll take the noon kickoff on Peacock. What are we doing, Peacock? Come on. Yeah, that's right. This is the first time uh, since I can really remember that we have, uh, you know, a streamed like not major network yeah. game to kick off the season. But uh, I'm going to pay my four ninety nine to get get the Peacock subscription so I can, you know, watch the game. I don't know. I, I travel to some of these, too. I'm, maybe I'll make it up there. But uh, 
I tell you what, man, you mentioned your website. Um, I want to make sure that, the, you know, my listeners and my fans and followers know because we have a lot of diehard Michigan fans that uh, really like to get into matchups and and hopefully I can send some people people your way. So where can people find you and, and how can they follow you? So part of the 24-7 Sports Network, as you mentioned, is it's the East Carolina site. Uh, Hoist the Colors is the name of the website. So if you just want to Google hoist the colors ECU or just type in hoist the colors.net. It'll take you straight to the website. And of course the guys over at the Michigan 24 seven site do a great job. I know there's several uh, publications like yourself that do a phenomenal job covering the, the Wolverines, but uh, definitely check us out and we'll have, I mean, we, we, we've done a little bit of a Michigan preview on the site already. Uh, you can follow us at HTC two four seven on hoist the colors or myself at Steven. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-G-O-I-G-O-E on Twitter for uh, information there. And yeah, come uh, come August, you'll have all the, if anybody cares about the ECU quarterback battle or any of that stuff, we'll have more clarity on that leading into that, you know, September 2nd opener. But I'm, I'm planning to make the trip to cover the game, so looking forward to it. Heck yeah, man. And I will definitely be going to your site and your site exclusively for all my East Carolina news and notes. Uh, Steven, you are a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, you may you may find me talking some trash uh, when week one nears. Just know that it's not personal. It's all fun and games. I'll be jarring at you a little bit. Thank you for taking the time. For Steven Igo, uh, I am Michael Smeltzer signing off. As always, go blue. And we're back. Me and Matt are back here on the BHB pod. Man, does that not get you ready to run through a brick wall? I mean, it feels like the season's right around the corner, doesn't it? Absolutely, man. And kudos to you for getting that. You know, nobody will say it out loud, uh, but everybody around this time is getting so antsy for week one Michigan football. So there's really no better way to uh, to get the juices flowing than to actually talk to somebody from the opposing squad so uh great job getting that put together buddy dude i can't wait to, to for you know to share with our our fans and with you and the listeners i've already recorded week two versus unlv i talked to a guy uh, tony damasco he's a very cool guy he was the play-by-play announcer for the unlv rebels and he's he's at all of their practices and it's it's uh super exciting i've got the bowling green one lined up but where it gets really interesting, and I don't know what I'm going to do or who I'm going to talk to, but uh, here in a few weeks, we're going to be uh, behind enemy lines with Michigan State and Penn State, Ohio State. It, it'll be fun to see uh, who volunteers to, to you know, hop into these interviews and, and give us some intel on their teams. And so uh, that's exciting, and I'm, I'm always excited to, to share a little bit of, of bonus content with our listeners. But uh, speaking of our listeners, where can they find you uh, if they want to follow you on social or, or see a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, man. So uh, they can find me on my primary Twitter handle at uh, Maze Crusader or any of the great content that uh, me and my team are putting together at Maze and Brew. Also, their website, mazeandbrew.com. Also, if you're interested, man, to pick up some uh, Big House Bleacher merch. We got the new site live, uh, mazeworld.com. That's world without the O. 
com. So come by, check it out. Get yourself a BHB dry fit long sleeve, short sleeve, or uh, check out any of the other good stuff on there. Mike, where can people find you, buddy? Man, uh, right now I'm making a big push on the. Uh, I've I've only got a a few hundred followers on the YouTube channel, so I'm I'm trying to get you guys to go follow the YouTube channel. Uh, that's Wolverine Chronicle on YouTube. But of course, my mainstay is Twitter. Twitter's where I live. Twitter's where we where we talk football and we breathe uh, Michigan football. So uh, that's at Wolverine Cron on Twitter. And then there's also a Facebook and a TikTok going out there, uh, you know, going around out there. But uh, check out the YouTube channel, guys. That that that's what I'm that's what I'm tr- kind of pushing right now. Hell yeah. That does it. That does it for this week, man. A, an amazing, diverse, dynamic episode. Next week, we'll go ahead and uh, have our good friend Lexi back on the pod. Uh, that does it for me. I'm Michael Smeltzer. My good buddy here is Matt Hartwell. And as always, go blue. Go blue.